When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everything to us. Uh, he is he's revered by uh, players' uh, moms as a uh, <laughs> as a gra- as a graphic designer, um, a deep fake artist. Um, I don't know. I I mean, somebody tried to claim meme lord before you, but I I, th- I think you're a meme lord. I, meme meme uh, meme giant. Uh, you know, trick person of all trades. So welcome, Brendan, to the podcast again. As always, good to see you, my friend, or hear you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to be here in the spooky season. We are in the uh the countdown to Halloween now. This is Halloween. Brandon, I've just got one question to open up this podcast and that is are there more chairs or people in this world? Um, you know, Kyle Hamilton rose a very important uh point in that discussion and what in it is what do you constitute a chair? Um but I would say chairs. It's got to be chairs. It's got to be chairs. And here's here's what I would say. Um, think of, I mean, everybody's got chairs in their house. I'm sitting in a chair right now. Yep. Um, not only that, but like hotels have chairs. Yeah, Right. Absolutely. Every hotel has airports. chairs. Airports, airports have, have chairs. chairs. Restaurants have, have chairs. Yeah. I think the United States alone probably outnumbers the number of people um, – with chairs is is chairs in the world. This just, yeah, and I, and I don't buy this whole like third world country doesn't have chairs, so all, you can't you have to count all the people in Africa, but not not any of the chairs. I just right, you know. and you know certain Asian countries don't really have a the same um, infatuation with chairs that we do. Um, right, I mean they don't have a ton of chairs in Japan, but even Japan's got hotels, and even Japan's got movie theaters, and they have hospitals, and they have. All sorts of things. So, yeah, it's got to be chairs. I mean, I am sitting in my uh, – not even my living room, just sort of like a, li- a room off the living room, sitting in a chair, obviously. And I can see five chairs without even having to stand up. Um, and there's four people in my house. Uh, so I just – I feel like everyone's got a bunch of chairs in their house. Um, and I'm not alone in this. I think there's got to be more chairs than people. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's, so uh, it's absurd I, I, to say. I just I'm as much as I it pains me to disagree with Kyle Hamilton and uh, Brian Kelly initially said people and then I think Cam he's, Hart got to give him the business. Yeah, he saw a, that oh, look wait. on Cam Hart's face and he was like, "I just made a mistake." <laughs> I don't know if you asked uh, your wife, but I asked my wife tonight and she said, "People." Well, no, wait, chairs. I said, "Yeah, no, it's it's definitely chairs." Yeah, it's, it's definitely chairs. So uh, let's talk about things that actually have uh, something to do with Notre Dame football that, that doesn't involve random questions about people in chairs, and that is we got a game uh, against North Carolina this weekend, 7.30 p.m. Saturday. Um, again, at NBC, it's a home game. The Palmieri so, Classic. 
uh, the, the as we like to say, the Ryan Palmieri classic. The 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 hot take so hot it kicked him off Twitter. Um, yeah, it's not about the January sixth insurrection. It was about the idea that um, Brian Kelly should be using Mac Brown as a blueprint for how he goes about rec- uh, recruiting. And uh, you actually you actually pulled a, a nice quote from Mac Brown this week about Brian Kelly, right? Yeah, I was I was looking into um, you know I was doing my due diligence of just reading up on everything UNC, and I saw I was reading um, Mac Brown's uh, Mac Brown's you know presser. Uh, leading into the game for his Notre Dame week, and he said Notre Dame is the blueprint for what for what they strive. Um, I believe his exact quote was, uh, "Let me let me grab that." <laughs> he said, um, uh, "They're kind of the standard that we'd like to be, which is the inverse of what one Ryan Paul Mary once uh, wrote That's an right. article for." And, uh, you know, for those of those of you who have been listening to the podcast long enough, you you know what we're talking about. But just the, the quick recap, um, Ryan was writing for was it Irish Maven? What, what was he writing? No. Yeah, I, what, think, I think it was uh, I think it was Irish Maven. Maven? Yeah, yeah, Maven. And um, basically, uh, if I recall correctly, UNC had a hot week in recruiting, got landed a couple, maybe four stars. And this was God, what was it? Was it September or August or something like that? Um, and, you know, several months away from, from the February, uh, ultimate, you know, deadline or whatever for, for finishing out a class and, um, you know, wrote this article that basically said, you know, it, Notre Dame would do, would be better served by following the Mac Brown blueprint, uh, oof, at, that, uh, that did not end up so well because, um, my recollection is that Notre Dame was well ahead of, of UNC in the final, uh, 24 seven in rivals rankings for, the uh, recruiting class for last year. So I, uh, yeah, their, their model seems to be, they, they get a five-star in state kid and then sign a bunch of three stars. That's the North Carolina model. And I guess if you want to, if you want that to be your model uh, to sign your in-star in-state five-star kid and then sign a bunch of guys, uh, go ahead. That's you do you. (laughs) So I think this was a game that we call it we um like last year, a game that I think pundits were were circling, um, maybe saying this is a potential game that Notre Dame would have to watch out for. Um I think last year there was a lot more chatter about North Carolina than there's been la- this year. I think probably has to oh, do yeah. with the fact that they lost to uh Florida State inexplicably. They got Georgia house Tech. By, by they got housed by Georgia Tech. Um, last week they they won a shootout against Miami of Florida. Um, they, they opened did, with a loss against uh, Virginia Tech. Yeah, but they did crush uh, Virginia. So they did. I guess um, they got that going for them. So like this is a team that puts up a lot of points uh, typically. Um, but it, I think we're what are we looking at a four and three record at this point? Yeah, for these guys three record. Yep. Yeah. So. Um, Notre Dame is favored at last I saw three and a half points. Is that what you, is that the line that you uh, grabbed us tonight? That's the line I grabbed tonight. I know okay. it, it was a, it was around four and a half. It opened uh, I think north of four at four four and a half, um, right. and it's come down a little bit. I mean, I have um, to think that line is a little bit been sensitive to the Kyle Hamilton injury, which obviously oh, Brian yeah. Kelly announcing earlier in the week that Brian that Kyle Hamilton would um, would miss at least this week. Uh, after missing all but eight plays of the last week with it, which which was originally described as a, a fat pad 
uh, injury, but now it's just kind of been contained to a general knee diagnosis. So um, not 100% sure what's going on with Kyle, but um, I think uh, we decided in the last podcast that win or lose, there's no point in bringing Kyle Hamilton back for, for Navy. Obviously, if they lose, that changes the calculus considerably. If they win, um, you know, you would hope to see Kyle back for, for Virginia, but uh, but it really doesn't make sense. I mean, you're going to beat Navy with, without Kyle Hamilton, and especially if you can beat UNC without Kyle Hamilton. I mean, Navy isn't really uh, a threat to anybody this year. So Except Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Navy's got, what, one win on the season? Uh, yeah, so, yep, exactly. So um, that's, You should be able to take care of business when, you know, They've looked better in recent weeks, but I mean they're still a one in what one in six football team. So, right. and uh, you you know as a, as another podcast who I don't remember, or I'd give them credit said if you lose to Navy, it's because you screwed up, not because of anything that Navy did. Um, right. You know you'd have to pretty you'd have to play a very undisciplined, very non Notre Dame game um, to do that. So we won't look too far ahead. We'll we'll be focused on, on North Carolina this. Um, this week, and obviously you'll have some preview, uh, as you always do on this on this preview podcast about the the upcoming opponent. But I just wanted to ask you about anything that you had heard this week from either from Brian Kelly or from the players that that kind of jumped out at you. Um, was there any any comments made during the the pressers uh, that you felt was worthy of discussion tonight? Yeah, I mean there was the the one that really stuck with me was it was in Brian Kelly's Monday presser and it um it had to do with the wide receivers. And Brian Kelly said about, you know, Styles and Deion Colsey, he said that uh, and I quote, we're past the hey, you're the backup guy. Dell is moving guys in just beyond giving starters a blow. They're in the mix now. If they make a play, they're staying in. And I thought that that was um, extremely poignant for two reasons. One, um, I was under the impression Notre Dame doesn't play freshman wide receivers. <laughs> um, that bit will never die. It will never die. Uh, two is I'm not sure who that is. Is that more something toward the level of play that he's seeing from um, Colsey and specifically, you know, Styles had a I would I would say a breakout game against USC. I think that's pretty fair, right? Led the, yeah, led the team. I mean, I, I likened it to a, a certain um, receiver that we all admired who did not actually pan out on the team and uh, in, in his sort of breakout game against USC uh, a couple of years ago. I, I said 2017, it might've actually been 2016, but uh, I was referring to, of course, the unlimited potential that was KJ Stefferson. Uh, oh yeah, that was the... Yeah, the, he had two touchdowns against them in uh, 17. Yeah. Uh, Wimbush. Um, yeah, and then – but I guess the flip side would be is that there hasn't been consistent production from either uh, Lindsey or Austin to this point. And so maybe Brian Kelly is trying to find a spot, spark from you know these young guys at the wide receiver position and kind of like what he did with Tyler Buckner – and riding the hot hand, um, he says that if they make a play, they're they're going to stay in. So Brian Kelly this season has shown, you know, with the Buckner um, Virginia Tech thing, that he's he's willing to ride a hot hand. Um, eligibility or class designation be damned. Yeah, and 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 I, I want to, you know, Greg, uh, our friend Greg, Greg twenty one twenty six on Twitter, 
um, talked about something in August that turned out to be prescient. So he gave himself a little congratulations today um, on Twitter. But um, basically in a press conference in mid-August, you know, Brian Kelly had said about Lorenzo Styles that he was coming along, said it had been slower than he would have liked. But he, he, he said he's just a great kid. He's going to be really good. And Greg had made a comment at the time that said, you know, there's a standard. Um, if the player's determined to meet it as a peer styles will, then you'll get in the lineup as it appears styles will. And so, you know, Greg kind of um, quote tweeted himself today and said, you know, look, you can make the coaches play. You. And I think that's exactly right, which is what's going on here. Both Styles, Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey um, are doing what the coaches wanted um, them to do to make the field. And I absolutely 100% agree with you that, uh, openings have been made because of the inconsistent play of Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay. And so now we're, we're going to, I like your term, the hot hand, and we're going to see what we can do to open up this offense using, um, Lorenzo Styles and maybe Deion Colsey. And in fact, um, I think it was maybe Josh who pointed it out, but I think Tim O'Malley also pointed out in his, his article today, um, there was, I think it was the first series where Michael, uh, not Michael Mayer, Jack Cohn had, uh, had Colsey actually wide open and, and never, never looked his direction. It would have been a, probably a sure touchdown on that first drive. So, um, I, I think these guys are doing what, uh, what we need them to do. And frankly, I'm here for it because it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It, it makes you think a lot about the future and it's a good, um, it's a good refreshment from sort of always wanting something out of Braden Lindsay or, or Kevin Austin that they may be unable to provide. Yeah, I think that ultimately at this point in the season, Brian Kelly is valuing, um, I mean, you have to, just production and the ability to make plays in the game above all outs, which is kind of what you want from your head coach. Um, and I don't think that that's something I necessarily would have said that would have been a staple from, I don't think that that was a staple of Brian Kelly's in previous years. Uh, but this year it seems to be something that, that he's valuing and I'm, it's a change that I'm welcome, welcome to. I think that, uh, yeah, you want to, you want to play the guys who are going to, to make plays. And people say that, uh, you know, one of the knocks on Kelly, I guess, is his, um, uh, you know, loyalty towards guys who have been with the program. Um, but I think that there is, I don't, I, I think that perhaps that might be misplaced. Well, um, yeah. And I just, so. I, I fundamentally disagree with the idea that a coach wouldn't, wouldn't use every uh, arrow in his quiver to win a game. You know what I mean? There's just, it just, the idea that, you know, Lorenzo Styles is ready to be a breakout guy and, and Brian Kelly's just like, you know what, I, I, I got to just see this through um, on on uh, Braden Lindsay or Kevin Austin. Just it it doesn't it doesn't strike me as realistic. And I feel the same way about the about the quarterback thing. And again, we don't have the visibility that the coaches have or whatever. But I just right. um, this this idea that they're now it sounds like um, that they they believe the tempo is really going to work for them in terms of this offense. And they're going, they're determined to make this part of their future going forward. Uh, you know, starting with USD and continuing through UNC. So 
I th- I think we're going to see more of the same in terms of the you know the quick patterns emerging and and, and basically daring uh, USC to get the right personnel to to stop them from doing it um, and having that be um, you know open up opportunities in the run game. So I'm I'm excited because I think it worked. Um, I, I think it showed a lot of promise uh, during USC, and I think that you know the more that they run it, the more that they'll get comfortable with it, and the more the guys will will make opportunities. And Lorenzo Styles amongst them, you know, I think that there, there's a guy who just could, um, you know, make guys miss and 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 be running for quite a while, just based off of what you know what I saw uh, in, in his limited action uh, so far this year, and catch the ball. I think yeah. that that's um I think catching the ball um is something that that as a wide receiver should be one of the the tenets of <laughs> uh, what what you do and um you know that just I mean you know, was what 20 for 29 uh in the in the last game I, it just that's the kind of completion percentage you get when you're when you're throwing passes like down the line of scrimmage or um you know, yeah, he was extremely effective, and and I th- I know that Greg keeps hammering this in our in our private chats or whatever, but like Cones throws downfield, they just they just they haven't connected. It's not a it's not a winning strategy for for Jack Cone and for Notre Dame. I think I think Greg is pointed out seven for twenty nine at this point on throws yeah. that are going twenty or more yards less than thirty percent. Yeah, and it's I think just, he's two um, for his last seventeen. It's but you know that. It should be well. He should have had one more. I mean, we disagree, but I mean the, the <laughs> often thing. But even so, that was not a well placed ball, right? So, um, and I think that Brian Kelly and what we got from the practice footage is they definitely expected to have that that deep passing game and to be able to connect on some of those. And oh. that kind of looked like what the offense was. Brendan, uh, they fed us a daddy ass diet of Jack Cohn and thirty, you know, thirty yard. Oh, balls yeah. in the air to Braden Lindsay. I mean, to the point where I was hanging Pete Sampson of the Athletic on Twitter and asking them how many balls he I thought he'd throw, you know, that was in excess of twenty. I think it was twenty twenty air yards that I picked or whatever, and just sort of tried to, um, you know, get him to commit to a number or whatever. Um, I just look. I I thought that that was going to be the plan, and maybe it, to be honest with you, maybe that was the plan. I think it um, was. And now it's just it's so clearly not working that way that they're just I, I love that they're they're not being whether it's Tommy Rees or Brian Kelly or, or a combination of the of the two or somebody else has input. I love that they're not being stubborn about it. I love that they're sitting there going, OK, this worked for us. And so let's let's do this until it stop, stops working. And know? how and how serendipitous was the advent of this? That it is all predicated on those last two drives against Virginia Tech, a game in which he got pulled. The reason they're going to this this up-tempo, quick-hit offense is because that's what they needed to do against Virginia Tech. And they were put in that position, um, you know, in part because Cone's poor play early on, I guess. But then also... You know, Buckner getting hurt. Otherwise, Buckner probably would have finished that game off. Um, it is it is certainly interesting how how all of this came to be. Yeah, uh, you're, you're absolutely a great point. And and you know, to piggyback off of that, I feel like 
the scripted plays that they ran, whether it was 10 or 15, you know, where they knew Buckner was going to come in and run the run a couple of plays in that. Um, I think it was the first series, right? First series that he came in. Uh, might have been yeah, first two he, series. I think um, it was the second series. He threw a couple of passes. Yeah, I felt I felt like they really integrated him him well into what they were trying to accomplish. Um, I love the. I, I tried to. I kind of ineloquently mentioned it during the last podcast, but I um, I think Tim O'Malley called it sort of a scissors, where it was a uh, Logan Diggs and Kyron Williams in the backfield. And he fakes the handoff to, to Diggs, and then he ends up throwing it to, to Williams on a screen. Um, and the play kind of looked a little janky because he got pressure, but it actually worked out beautifully because um, Williams had blockers in front of him. So yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember what, how, if the gain was 10 or 15 yards, but it was just, you know, I, I thought it kept the defense uh, guessing a lot about, you know, especially with a, with a quarterback who is a, is a threat to keep the ball himself and, and run around the end. Um, I, I thought it was great that they, they had set that up so beautifully. Um, so I'm encouraged. I, I feel like um, it's not perfect, but at the same time, we're, we're heading into UNC um, feeling very, very, I'm feeling very confident that they'll be able to handle their business with UNC, even despite having Kyle Hamilton out. Now, having said that, Let's not minimize what Kyle Hamilton needs to this defense. And so this is an opportunity for guys like DJ Brown and Houston Griffith to really, um, really have to step up. Now, I guess the jury's out on DJ Brown. I mean, PFF loves him. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. Kelly loved him too. That yeah. was one of the things Kelly's presser as well is, is Kelly said, we weren't sure how DJ Brown was going to be as a tackler. And that's one of the things that was holding him back. But What's T.J. Brown's tackle rate on PFF? What's his uh? What's his rate again? Ninety something. I mean, it's just uh, off the so, charts. Which yeah. I mean, coming in is one thing, but yeah, I, I'm I'm encouraged. I mean, he looked great against UNC in the second half. They didn't score a point. That's that's great. So does that mean that a full game of uh, D.J. Brown, North Carolina, is not going to score any points on Saturday? So I thought that uh, who was it that made the made the really good point that uh, Jeremiah Wusakormo is obviously the difference here, right? Which is yeah, when you he had was a line. you yeah, didn't, had... you were miss you weren't missing JOK in the last game. You are missing him in this game, obviously. So um, with no with no disrespect to uh, all the men that have that have replaced him, who clearly don't hold the candles to him. You know, obviously things are going to get a little. Uh, uh, what do I want to say? Wacky, um, you know. And, and you'll probably explain this much better than I can. But like, this is—I mean, Sam Howell's got to be pretty, and his receiving core's got to be pretty psyched that Kyle Hamilton's not playing this game. I mean, this is this is the opening up opportunities, uh, potential mismatches, right? Yeah, because <laughs> what Kyle Hamilton would have probably ended up doing this football game is he's he's had a lot of times where he's had to going to coverage and play man and matched up against receiver. And of course, who he would have been matched up again is the slot receiver being Josh Downs, their primary target. Um, if if you thought Drake London was, it's it's a lot like the Drake London situation last week where Josh Downs has 60 catches uh, on the season and their next highest receiver, uh, they have two guys who have 11. And then Kamari Morales, their tight end, <laughs> has 16. 
It's exactly so it, like uh, the London situation then. It is It is exactly like the London situation. Um, I think it's a little bit da- more dangerous than the London situation in that he plays slot. Um, and he also has eight touchdowns on the year where London Ooh. wasn't a guy. London had three coming into the game. Um, Downs is a guy who has found success. Um getting into the uh getting into the end zone. Um he's he's caught a touchdown pass in every single game this year. Okay. So um you know, and he's had a couple of hundred yard games. So I mean he's had three one hundred yard games and then a two hundred and three yard game against Virginia. So there is a there is a concern, I would imagine, among the the coaching staff, and and probably a mismatch that Mac Brown and then Sam Howell is going to see uh, with Josh Downs, um, and that would have almost assuredly been Kyle Hamilton's um, uh, duty on Saturday night would have been to ensure that that didn't happen. So, so yeah. did you get a chance to review the, the game tape like you did with USC? Like, have you have you watched a lot of the UNC snaps? <laughs> well, so I only watched four North Carolina games. I didn't give them the full the USC because I, I I really had no interest in watching Duke or Georgia Tech. Mm. Um, uh, actually, I didn't. I, I watched the Miami game sort of as it was happening, kind of. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I didn't watch Georgia, uh, Georgia State or Duke, but I watched Virginia Tech, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Florida State today. Um, yeah, because the, the the reason I'm asking is um, PFF has Josh Downs' average depth of target as 8.4 yards, and I'm I was wondering if that is kind of a mixture of of deep ones and and sort of like the the Drake yep. London play call, which is the you know the sort of screen and getting him out in space. So he's he's going to hit you over the he, he's a middle of the field kind of guy. Um, okay. I mean he's a slot receiver. Um, he's he's caught some long balls. Um, he's got uh, I don't know. I probably saw what. 15, 15 passes that were significantly down down the field, um, and th- that's that's where I have I think yeah he's got eleven catches of over twenty five yards so um, he's a guy I think he's more of a deep threat I think than than London was London was definitely a volume guy um, right. Towns is sort of a, a volume guy too but that's not really what he's designed to be. He's never had more than 11 catches in a game. He hasn't had that 16 catch performance um, that, that London has. Um, but um, yeah, there was, there was a couple of things that I noticed. Uh, one, uh, we were, we made fun of them all off season and like for all of our offensive line foibles, um, we seemingly have figured it out. I think since what Toledo, I guess, They've been Notre Dame's done a pretty okay job of limiting the amount of sacks that they've they've given up. Um, Jermaine Johnson in the Florida State game certainly set a trend, and then it looked really bad against Toledo. But they've been more or less uh, normalizing the, the amount of sacks that they're they're giving up. Our line has uh, mm-hmm. North Carolina is not uh, doing the same um, in their fourth game against Georgia Tech, uh, and this is one that that really sticks out to me. Um, 
They gave up eight sacks to Georgia Tech. Oh. That's a problem. That's um so Georgia Tech isn't necessarily a uh prolific <laughs> pass rushing team. Uh right. they had zero sacks against Northern Illinois, two sacks against uh, Kennesaw State, zero sacks against the uh uh, uh potent uh and efficient Clemson offensive line. They got eight sacks against North Carolina, one sack against Pitt, one sack against Duke, one sack against Virginia. They have 13 sacks on the season, eight of which came against North Carolina. North Carolina gave up six sacks to Virginia Tech in that opener. Um, yeah, yeah, so um, our friend Tyler James of the uh, South Bend Tribune had some prop bets. And one of the prop bets is over under three and a half sacks for the Notre Dame defense. Now, yeah. I just looked at the number and thought, uh, three and a half, that's, that's a lot. I, mean, I saw under. you pick the uh, the under on that yeah. one. And I and, uh, and I wanted to post the screenshot. Like, um, here's Georgia Tech and uh, Virginia Tech sack numbers. Um, well, I, yeah, I don't know if you know Andrew Hall. He's, um, he's the founder of uh, Irish Archive, Irish Football Archive. He's the guy who actually, if you need, a, if you need an old game, um, seek out Andrew because uh, he, he most likely has it. Um, he said, only disagreement sacks. UNC is 124th in sacks allowed. Only team Irish face that is worse is Toledo. Notre Dame sacked the Rockets five times. Defense has improved as well. Uh, I, I may have made a, a mistake on that one. Made a great beer. You know, maybe Foskey sets the Notre Dame uh, sack record, uh, you know, <laughs> just on Saturday, Yeah, just on Saturday alone. Um, and, and declares so, for the NFL draft those, immediately afterwards. To be a little fair to their offensive line, some of those are on Sam Howell um, taking sacks. Holding on to the uh, ball too long. Holding on to the ball too long. Also, he he runs an incredible amount. I that's the one thing that watching sort of the the games on the on the you know the, the scrubs, the thirty minute versions of the games that really really jumped out to me was how much that he ran and how much they designed him to run. Uh, he's their second leading rusher. He's got almost 500 yards on the season, and that includes – And, and, and that really has set. been the last two games, right, that he they started becoming a running force with, with Howell? Um, I, thought, well, I thought that I saw his death where he's put up the majority of his rushing yards in like the last two games. I might be wrong about that, but I thought I did a quick look on that. He had 104 against Georgia State. He had 112 against Virginia. He had eight okay. against Georgia Tech. But I mean, how many how many sack yards? <laughs> how many sacks? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually can I can tell you how much uh, in terms of uh, sacks he had. Um, so they had uh, what 53 yards of they had 53 sack yards. So he still yeah. had like 61 yards of rushing. Um, mm-hmm. 29 against Duke, 108 against Florida State, and 98 against Miami. So it's been consistent throughout the whole year that Sam Howell is, I mean, he's a dual threat quarterback. Um, he's white, which means that he's, he's deceptively fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's going to be, if, if I'm looking at it, the two problems that Notre Dame is going to have on Saturday, um, Ty Chandler, the running back, he's okay. He's pretty good. He's got 588 on the season. Um, I don't think that, um, you know, he picks his spots pretty well. I don't, I don't think that he's a, he's a dominant running back. He's maybe the best running back that, um, 
they'll have seen this year. He's a transfer over from, from Tennessee. Um, you know, he had a big game against Virginia that certainly bolstered his stats. Um, the Virginia game in general sort of bolstered all of their stats. It sort of raised the, the water when you look all at their, the, the yeah. Votes. Okay. Yeah. The, the Virginia and the Georgia state game sort of given in. So when you look at North Carolina's, um, stats, you see that they're, you know, um, they're averaging, um, you know, what, 30, 37 points a game, 39.6, which is pretty good. But they have two 59-point games, the second and third game of the season. Um, and then after that, they haven't, they just haven't hit, uh, you know, 39 points in a, I mean, the Miami game, but, you know, they had 25 in the loss to, um, Florida State. They only had 22 in the loss to Georgia Tech. Um, it's, but if Notre Dame is going to have a problem on Saturday offensively, or I guess defensively, you know, against North Carolina's uh, offense, it's going to be downs in the passing game, and it's going to be Sam Howell making plays with his legs, which is going to be with his legs, right? I I don't like it. Yeah, not great. I, I thought it was interesting. A little uh, moving a little further out, thirty thousand foot view. I thought it was interesting that PFF. Um, has in the power rankings has North Carolina's 48th and um and is projecting average wins of 5.8 which would suggest a six and six season and a 56 percent chance of making a bowl I mean does this feel like a six and six team because I you know I felt like they were at least an eight and five uh I I thought so too um but then when you when you really watch how they play to this point in the season. This is a team that will lose in blowout fashion to Georgia Tech. So if you're, if you can get blown out by Georgia Tech, they have to play Notre Dame. Well, here's the thing. They got to play Notre Dame this week. They got to play Wake Forest, who's undefeated, uh, the next, and then they have to play Pitt and Kenny Pickett the following week. So their next Uh, three games are against ranked opponents. And then there's Wofford, which is a dub. Which is a Who knows? It's a rivalry game. So throughout the, the dang records <laughs> against NC State to end the season. So right. in order for them to even get to, um, you know, six wins, they're going to have to, um, you know, they're going to have to beat NC State. So they're they're just yeah. they're just chalking up PFS chalking up L's to Notre Dame, Wake Forest, and Pitt, which I don't think that that's absurd. That doesn't feel wrong. You're right. That doesn't feel wrong. Now. I don't know how much uh, can can we trust Wake Forest? Um, if they're playing an uh, army, <laughs> I mean Wake Forest is due for a letdown. Um, yeah. and North Carolina seems like the right spot for it. Um, it's a home game for North Carolina. It might be a, a night game, so you know. Who, and who? But I mean, who knows what North Carolina looks like after this game? Um. Because they'll drop to 400 or 500. So, um, I mean, I can't believe, I still can't get past the fact that Pitt lost to Western Michigan. Yeah. Like, that just seems so incongruous with, like, what they've done. And maybe we just say, oh, that was, that was mid-September. They look how, you know, they're, they're on a roll now or whatever. But I got to tell you, Miami, Florida, Duke, and then playing UNC, I mean, they very well could come into that game with only having lost once. Um, and so I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're hosting UNC. That feels like a tough game for UNC. 
Like yeah, it does game. feel like a tough game, but there's the pressure of being undefeated and having a college football playoff ranking next to their name. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah, that's does, that's we, tough. Does weird things to people. Definitely does weird things to people. And 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 if they do go six and six, I think this will be one of the most talented six and six teams we've seen in a while. I mean, really, they've got they've got dudes. Um, I think yeah. we focused on the offense, but um, you know, l- tell us what you know about the defense. Um, well, defensively, uh, whoosh, um, it's kind of tough to really like. I really like Miles Murphy. Um, he's a defensive tackle. Um, and other than that, like, um, they're giving up a lot of big pass plays. They don't get after the quarterback particularly well. Um, they don't like. One thing that I, I really noticed, especially in the Georgia Tech game, um, and it, it was similar to what I've seen with USC, is they, they just don't – I think what, what, what has them um, is that they're not very good at tackling. Like Jordan Travis, uh, they were incapable of tackling Jordan Travis. <laughs> so does that mean that, you know – I don't know what that means for, for what Kelly wants to do with the, the quarterback situation, but um, – they're just a team. I think what's holding them back from being like they, like you said, they have some pretty good talent there, um, but they're just they're just not very good at tackling. Other than than Miles Murphy, um, uh, Tom and Fox is pretty good. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at the PFF grades. Kyler McMichael, one of the cornerbacks, has taken 364 snaps, so he's definitely a starter. Has a 30.4 tackling grade. Oof. Yeah, uh, we're st- we're Storm Duck on there because he's not playing, which I think is pretty significant. Yeah, Storm Duck's only taken twenty six snaps this year, so is it is it an injury yeah. deal or? Yeah, it's an injury deal for okay. for Storm. Right. Um, I do love the name though, Storm Duck. Gotta love that. It's a good name, and he was one of their best uh, one of the best defenders last year. Um, one of their best corners last year, so. Yeah, uh, Cameron Kelly actually a safety who looks like maybe he's playing a reserve role or maybe he's got a maybe he's in a nickel uh, dime alignment that they don't play all the time. He actually has the best uh, grade for anybody that has like significant stats. Um, but even his tackling grade is the lowest uh, or is a sixty five point one. So not great, not great. But his coverage grade is pretty good. So yeah, so I mean in in terms of. It's another just like USC where they weren't particularly adapted getting after the quarterback. North Carolina's only got 14 sacks, and and a lot of that was bolstered with the five that they had against Duke. Sure. So um, they weren't able to sack uh, Jordan Travis. Um, yeah, they just they weren't able to get Jeff Sims. He, Jeff Sims had a hell of a day. Um, obviously, when you score, you beat a team 45 to 22. Um, Jeff Sims had a, a pretty, um, you know, phenomenal day. Um, so, uh, Tillman Fox is the guy to, to look for is in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. Is he really kind of their guy? Uh, no, the guy to get uh, pressure on the quarterback is from the, uh, the Miles Murphy. leads. Yeah, he leads the team in sacks and tackles for losses on the inside. Miles Murphy. Um, and Notre Dame hasn't played a lot of good uh, nose tackles this year. So, right. Um. I'm interested to see. Sort that's, of, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's strength versus strength, though, because Jarrett Patterson is obviously having a great season. Yeah. Notre Dame. So, yeah. 
I'd be a lot more worried if he was lined up against, say, Kane Madden. Kane Madden or if Josh uh, Lug. Lug, yeah. But there's going to be some times when he's he is, um, you know, going to 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 get matched up with Madden. Sure. Um, and so again, it's sort of thing. Yeah. Or so it's going to. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nothing other than yeah. Other than that, just um, we're going to if if we're going to be gnashing our teeth, it's going to be because Sam Howell picking up third downs uh, as a runner. Yeah, I think that's that's the one thing that um, I think we're going to get ours in terms of sacks. I I would be very surprised if Notre Dame finished with fewer than you know four sacks on Saturday. Um, you know, I'm probably expecting like five or six. I think that they're really going to have a chance to get after it, just like they did last year, um, just in terms of pressure. But um, right. I just I I do have some concerns with him. Um, making plays with his legs, and um, that's that's something that I'm I want to keep an eye on. They had six did sacks, you know, by the way, against North Carolina last year. So yeah, I don't. Did, did, did you notice anything? Was there any kind of consistency in the way that the uh, defenses that played North Carolina this year kind of game plan for him? Did they try to they try to uh, keep a spy on him? I, I mean, did they try to? Um, Keep more guys up front. What, what did they do to counteract Sam Howell running on them, or is there really it's is there really nothing that can be done? I I don't know if it's nothing that can be done, but I think it's I think that teams have just been willing to let Sam Howell run and just get hit. And okay. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Which that doesn't strategy. sound like the worst strategy if you're a Notre Dame guy with thuds, you know? Right, because you're you're hitting him in when he tra- when he drops back to pass. And then he's running it himself and, you know, not even just the sacks alone, but also just the QB hurry hits, right? I mean, he's getting hit probably, um, you know, 15 to 20 times every single game. Yeah. I, I, the, I think the thing that um, that worried me about the last game was that, if I recall correctly, DJ Brown got called for targeting and then they waved it off. Is that, it was DJ Brown who got targeted on that, right? Or yeah. Yeah. That was a, yeah. I mean, like after the Kyle Hamilton injury and that's then to tend to lose DJ Brown. I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing that hurts so much about Kyle is not only do you lose, um, you, you know, the talent, most talented player on your, your team offense or defense, but you're also losing, you know, that, that safety net. He can do so much. He can erase so much. And now you're bringing in a guy who can do less. And if you lose that guy or any, frankly, any other guy that's targeting, yeah. um, you just, there's, it gets real thin, real thin, real quick. Cause um, then you're talking about like, they've Ramon mentioned Henderson? Watts. Uh, well, I mean, Watts? Uh, Isaiah, yeah. Isaiah Pryor probably might sure. flip back. And then they, I, I, I don't even saw it a series where Pryor was sort of taking that role, right? Against USC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he quitted himself. He quitted himself. Well, Um, I just, I don't know that I would. In every situation that they've put him in this year. Yeah. I don't know that we want to make that a long-term strategy, but uh, you know, but, but, but then, you know, having said that last year, I think I, I, like everyone else freaked out when, when uh, Kyle left that game against North Carolina and thought, Oh, here we go. Sam Howell's going to, you know, light him up all over the field. 
and you know the defense really showed up. The really, guys stepped up, and and I Did, and I I believe that DJ Brown can do that. Is capable of that this week, and will do that. Yeah, I think so too. I think that um, they're. they're I think North Carolina is probably going to do something similar to Notre Dame where they want to get the ball out of his hands fast. Um, but I don't know if he's that kind of quarterback. Um, he likes to hold on to the ball. He likes to look downfield. He likes to take off and run. Um, so I don't know if they try and square peg round hole Sam Howell with the, I mean, because that's the other component too is North Carolina's coming off the bye week. And as we saw in Notre Dame last week, uh, the Notre Dame offense coming off the bye week was not the Notre Dame offense um, at any stop in the previous six games, right? Right. Yeah, they definitely added some wrinkles for sure. So I'm I'm curious to see what sort of self scouting and and what they've they've done with the offense to try and mask some of their offensive line uh, woes if they take a similar approach to Notre Dame or if you know Mac Brown's just like this is who we are and let's just slay yeah, it. Be- you may have already mentioned it, but is there kind of one uh, matchup that you think you'll you'll be most probably most watching uh, on Saturday? Um, well, I mean, I'm, is it that nose tackle versus Jared Patterson? Is it is it one of the the safeties versus Josh Downs? Is or corners versus Josh Downs? I mean, Clarence Lewis got a lot of buzz, um, and he got a game ball <laughs> after the North Carolina game. Um, I would think that Clarence Lewis is probably who's going to get tax, uh, tasked with doing this. Um, I think that they're going to do a lot of five defensive backs this weekend. Um, so there's definitely going to be some – I think that they're going to be comfortable just like they were against U, US, USC. Um, they're going to be comfortable with letting um, you know, North Carolina and Ty Chandler run the football. I think that uh, that's – and they're going to go certainly, um, you know, five DBs and dare North Carolina to try and run the ball uh, and win the football game. That would be so, what I envision. Do you think this could look like 2019 USC where Marquis stepped at a ton of yardage just because we were so focused on taking out Tyler Bonds and uh, – <sighs> I think it, it, it's funny that I think that it's going to be a lot like the the 2021 USC game <laughs> and where they were, you know, willing to let Deontay USC, Ingram. yeah, Deontay Ingram run the football. And um, that it's just the the receiver position just is it's a different kind of matchup. And he had he attacks a different part of the field in the part of the field. And he's more apt to score touchdowns. So that that makes me a little bit nervous. Um and what does Notre Dame do if North Carolina, you know, gets up fourteen to three or something? What what does Notre Dame's offense look like then? Uh and what does their defense look like then? So uh I think that coming out against North Carolina and with the night game and the sort of electricity they're able to to generate with the crowd and stuff like that, I think it's gonna be pretty incumbent on Notre Dame it's it's a stupid thing to say. Oh, you got to start fast. They didn't start fast against North Carolina last year, and they, you know, beat them pretty handily. Yeah, yeah. But I think that this year, um, they they want to. You want to get this team down. You want Sam Howell to be dropping back and passing 
and trying to make plays so you can get Foskey and MTA um, to create havoc in the backfield. Yeah, I, I this is not what we were talking about, but um, I, I've really just enjoyed watching Kyron Williams play uh, this year. I, I um, Emily Reagan, who's a, a producer for Fighting Irish Media, put together a clip today where she ticked off all 180 of uh, Kyron Williams' all-purpose yards in the last game, and it's just it was fun to remember how he just makes dudes miss. Um, yeah, he can stop. Uh, he has a good sense of the sideline. He can, um, he's, he's squirrely, keeps his hips moving. Uh, I just, I, I just, I guess I really didn't appreciate Kyron Williams until this year, uh, even though he had such a breakout year last year. And, uh, I just, I think I, I just, I've just been really enjoying, um, seeing him, seeing him work. And I, and I'm glad that the offensive line is giving him something to work with because, I think it's got to be incredibly frustrating for a guy to know yeah. that once he gets a start, he can, you know, he can make, he can turn a three yard gain into, into eight or 10. Um, but he's got to get the first three and the line helps him with the first three. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, he's been, he, he was phenomenal on Saturday. It was, it was, I, the, the yardage numbers were lower than sort of the performance and they weren't low, but I mean, the performance itself was, that was a that was an all time performance from a from a running back just in what he was able to do, um, and I, I I see him having sort of the same success this weekend, um, and I think you can get North Carolina. They're not a great tackling team, and Kyron Williams is a, a hard runner. Um, so like you said, where you get the three yards to turn into eight and ten, I think that we see more of that. Uh, they gave up. I mean. Against Georgia Tech, they gave up 261 on the ground. Most of that ended up coming from Jeff Sims, their quarterback. Uh, he had 128. But, um, I mean, he gave up 261 in a game. And then they gave up uh, 238 to Florida State. Um, and then last week they gave up 100 – or two weeks ago they gave up 157 against Miami in a, in a shootout. Um, I think that you have some – there's definitely going to be opportunities for for Kyron Williams to to continue his second half renaissance of this of this season. So, yeah, I I think we're going to get a heavy dose of Kyron Williams on Saturday, um, and, both in and, the passing game and the the, the running game. And, and you know, the eternally optimistic Brian Kelly says he expects uh, Chris Tyree back for this week. He obviously missed the USC game. Um, right. Do you have any Do you have any visibility on 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 that? Um, it, it, do you you think we'll see Tyree or, uh, frankly, I think Logan Diggs has acquitted himself well in the in the you know the replacement role there, and if yeah. you have to give it another week for the turf toe, I I think you do it right. I'd I'd like to see um Tyree in there because he had three touches on against USC, and they were basically throwaways, and I'm talking about Sebo Flemister. Um, I'd like to keep, I'd like to keep him off the field, um, if at all possible. Uh, you know, he had, uh, how, how, how many yards? He he went three for 10 against, um, South Carolina. It was just like setting the down on fire. So those, the, that load should go to digs and then you can spell cause Kyron had too many touches against USC. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I, I hope he's back. I mean, turf toes are just, I mean, that can be an all season thing. That can, that's something that can hound you all year. Right. But maybe it doesn't, maybe he's able to, to get back out there, but he's a, he's a guy who needs the ability to cut and to be able to move fast, straight line. And you, when you have a turf toe, I mean, he's going to be playing, it's going to hurt for the rest of the year. So what's his pain tolerance at? And, you know, I'd, I'd like to see, I'd like to, I hope that he's out there and maybe with a turf toe and it hurts, maybe it'll, it'll cause him to do one less cut, which I think he needs to do one less cut anyway. Uh, Cause that's like, <laughs> cut might hurt and maybe it'll help his running. And uh, Zeke Corral is in concussion protocol, if I understand correctly. So, um, you know, uh, Brian Kelly, I guess that Corral will be back this week. Um, I, I, if he can't go, what is it's Christophic, right? Who has who has his position? I think it's Christophic either way, right? Either way, okay. Yeah, I think he's acquitted himself more than more than well. Um, what they have cooking with Alt and Christophic on that left side. Has as much as anything else, as much as playing a bad USC defense, um, has helped uh, help the running game certainly. Yeah, and I don't know. Uh, Rocco Spindler remains the remains the eternal mystery in terms of. I guess he's not making the coaches needing to play him, right? He hasn't gotten right. to that that level. So I guess we'll we'll see if that turns out to be something, or if this is just a a redshirt the- year slash lost year for him. I think the five that they have now, Alt, Christophic, Patterson, um, uh, Madden, and Lug, that's the five that hopefully we see come Stanford because they're starting to gel. And I think that one of the problems that they had earlier in the year is that they kept having to flip left tackles and there was no, you know, continuity in the line. And that's the thing that you need with an offensive line, right? You need continuity. You need to, you know, guys, guys, you know, react with one another and the the tendencies and sort of the the play and the cadences of the guy you're playing with and an offensive line that's so big. Um, and you know, they've looked pretty good the last few weeks. They looked good against Virginia Tech and they looked good against USC. And I hope that continues against North Carolina too. So, um, I I hope that the five they have now and they finally figured it out. So we'll get into predictions when we when we have uh, our slate of predictions. Um, but is there anything else that you think that you know, Irish fans should be on the lookout for uh, come Saturday, whether it's about our own team or or about this this North Carolina team that they might be seeing for the first time since last November? Um, I mean, North Carolina is a team that gives up a lot of big pass plays, but that was sort of the scuttle, but on USC as well. Um, I, I made my feelings known towards the end of the pod last week that like, I was a little bit hesitant to, to fully buy into the revamped offense just because there was no real big play. Um, there were no real big plays in the passing game, 189 yards passing, uh, on 29 or 28 attempts, um, and no completions, you know, downfield, uh, more than 20 yards. So what I'm looking for big picture for the season moving forward is this is another secondary that I think that you can get after. And 
I liked what I saw, but I I need to see um, some more shots downfield. And and you talked earlier about um, missing styles on a on an early throw uh, that probably would have resulted in six. Um, I need to see Cone um, taking and connecting on some of those deep bombs that we were that we were <laughs> promised because I think that that's what's going to ultimately unlock this offense. Um, I like the tempo. I like the way that the running game looks. I just I need to see the ability to push the ball um, downfield because I think that 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 helps the offense not only score quick points, um, but also ultimately it helps your running game and it helps your short passing game as well. Because if you keep doing this quick tempo stuff, they're going to start creeping in Um, and you're not going to have some of those passing lanes in the short passing game that you have because teams don't fear your ability to throw the ball downfield. And I, I think probably maybe North Carolina, this is an, this is an opportunity where maybe North Carolina doesn't fear their ability to throw the ball downfield. And they're going to start pressing in a little bit. And some of those passing lanes we saw against USC with the tempo aren't going to be there. So it's going to be incumbent on Jack Cohn to prove that he can connect on those throws down the field in order to relax some of the corners and to push some of those safeties back. So then you can um, get that, that those quick hitters back in it. So switching topics here on you a little bit. um, I think there's some, some pretty good games that are on this week. And I was just wondering what non uh, Notre Dame game you think you'll probably be most interested in watching. Oh, I'm locked into Sparty, Michigan. I think yeah, that's the I biggest that's of the whole weekend. Too. Yeah. Um, they got um, uh, game day and big noon crews out there. Um, so Fox, they're getting the double dip like Notre Dame did with Wisconsin. Um, they're having uh, they're having everybody out there. I think that that game is going to be uh, – it's going to help set what I – you know, the Big Ten. And, you know, whoever loses that game, it's just another spot for Notre Dame to to move up for that because the college football playoff rankings come out after this game sure so after this after this weekend um college football playoff they're all going to sit in their room and watch all the games and uh and are they doing um, those on tuesdays like they they did last the last couple of years or yep it should be on they're going to have a uh tuesday this one will be the the big show and i think next one is going to be the the one where they do at the halftime of the college basketball tip-off or whatever but um, yeah, this is the this is going to be the big Tuesday long show, and if Notre Dame holds serve, um, they should be a top ten team. Um, but the, yeah, that Michigan Michigan State game, neither team has played anybody of note. Um, so I don't know how good either one of them is. Yeah, if if you know, it's funny. It kind of to me has obviously it's, it's a lot different because they've each played seven games of the point but it kind of reminds me of the 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 Notre Dame Texas game of 2016 where we were like wow this is an instant classic two teams really battling it right. out and then it, just, it turned out to be two kind of garbage teams uh but just played each other real close um you know I don't I, I'm not 100% sure that if one team beats the other that we have definitive information about how good they are but I mean they'll obviously have just knocked off an undefeated team so that 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 does speak volumes right and and I think yeah. they'll, they'll shoot up the rankings because of it. But, um, you know, for Pearl, 
uh, purely petty reasons. I, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Michigan State. Uh, obviously, I'll, I'll be inclined towards supporting in, in that because I just can never bring myself to root for Harbaugh in any in any iteration. Oh, yeah. uh, um, um, but I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm just l- looking to see, you know, if it's. I would be shocked if it was uh, 59-14. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm feeling like this is feeling like um, a game that just feels a, 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 like it's going to be a lot closer. Uh, you know, and I, that I'm thinking it could well be like a, right. I'm, I'm thinking it could be. A, I mean, the, the spread on this one, that one is four. I mean, we certainly could get into picks or whatever, but that one feels more like. A, a, 34-31, uh, 31-28 sort of, like, vibe to me. Um, so I guess I'd just be, would really be surprised if it was, like, 49-14, you know? Yeah, my – well, so the way I kind of look at it is if it is a – if so the line I think is big is because either Michigan wins this game big or they're losing. I don't think that there is mm-hmm. a situation where Michigan wins this game close. Uh-huh. Um, I think that, like – Michigan either is good and legit and for real, and they beat Michigan State just by grounding them into dust, or Michigan is not, and it's a slog of a game, and Sparty ends up winning. Um, I don't, I, I just don't see Michigan winning a close game. So if we do get a forty-nine fourteen, it's going to be Michigan on that. But I mean, Michigan sure. doesn't win games on the road; they don't win games <laughs> against top ten teams. Right. Um, they would really this have is, to, yeah, yeah, do a lot different. So. They don't beat their rivals. I mean, they lost to Michigan State last year, and Michigan State was awful last year. So, yeah, yeah, it just. I, I mean, was it? What can we say about um, the job that uh, that's being done at Michigan State now? I mean, just unbelievable. In terms yeah. of Val Tucker's um, your coach. If if he wins this weekend, you can pretty much lock Michigan State into going at least ten and two, probably eleven and one, because I don't think Penn State's very good. Um, and I think that that's bared fruit with their performance against Illinois. And we'll see yeah. how they look against Ohio State. It's so funny because I think I think James Franklin is bulletproof against uh, you know taking big L's. I I honestly think if he loses by twenty four to Ohio State, that will not hurt his his uh, coaching prospects at any other place no. that is desperate need of a head coach, which just Stuart, amuses me to no end. Stuart Mandel had a um, mailbag uh, this week, and it was like Penn State fans are ready to push him out the door, and LSU and USC fans are willing to welcome him with open arms. And the, the, the dichotomy between those two things is just like – I mean, because, you know, Franklin I don't think is a very good game day coach. He's a good recruiter. I guess, but as a game day coach, his late game management, um, he should have, he had Ohio State dead to rights, I think oh, in God, 19 yeah. or uh, 18 and 19, and his late game management blew both those games. It's, I mean, I'd be, last, if I was, if I was a Penn State fan, I would just, I would not, I would not feel very good about James Franklin being my coach, but no. Anyways, um, so let's get into the picks. I mean, we kind of teased the, the Michigan-Michigan State game, but let's actually start with uh, Ohio State and Penn State because um, that's the first one on your list, and also it's a it's a good one to just talk about because we really haven't talked about it that much yet. So uh, I'll let you do the honors and kick it off here. What How are you feeling about this uh, game? Is this going to be – can Penn State cover uh, 18.5 points? 
I don't think so. Um, <laughs> Ohio State's offense is not very good, or defense, their offense is very good. Ohio State's defense can be gotten, um, but it can be gotten through the passing game. And Sean Clifford, um, I mean, I know he's still hurt, uh, but the performance that they put up in nine overtimes against Illinois was one of the most disgusting offensive uh uh, performances that I've ever seen against a bad de- I'm I don't think Illinois is a very good defense. It's not like, you know, Illinois has this. You like, should ought to be able to score two points against them. Yes. You should be able to score more than one time in seven tries from the three yard line. Mm-hmm. I think so. I, mm-hmm. I maybe I'm wrong, but I think that a, a mildly competent quarterback in offense should be able to score uh, more than once within, you know, you know, seven trips at the at the three, um, or at the two. But it just, I think Ohio State ends up just boat racing them. This is one of those ones where Ohio State puts up the gross, disgusting number. Just, I think Penn State has a pretty good defense, so it probably could be something like thirty-eight to ten. Right? I just, I, I don't have any faith in Penn State's ability. Um, especially in the shoe, if they get down, I just I just, just score more than twenty points. Yeah, yeah, I don't see them scoring more than twenty points. So I, I, I'm going to pick uh, Penn State here, and I and, and I, I don't disagree with any of the logic that you just made, but I, I I cannot help but mention that now going into this week, Josh is 14 and 21 in the picks. Uh, Josh <laughs> left his picks with us. He has picked Ohio State. Um, the only pick he has gotten right in the last. Three weeks has been two Notre Dame games in which he successfully picked Notre Dame to cover against Virginia Tech, which obviously they did, and uh, to cover against USC, which they did as well. Um, yeah. And, and and because of that, he is uh, two and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, two and fourteen in his last three weeks. So I I think Josh is a poison, and so I'm going to try to uh, I'm going to try to pick against him as much as humanly possible because. It amuses me, and apparently it seems to have been a winning strategy. Now watch. This will be the week it's not a winning strategy. Um, but it also could be the week that the Penn State, can, the Penn State comes alive uh, at least enough to cover 18.5 points. That's a lot of points. It's um, a lot of But points. if anybody can do it, Ohio State can certainly do it. So I don't disagree with the logic, Brendan, but I think just for the LOLs, um, you know, I, I guess it I'll take – I'll lean into the – I'll lean into the Penn State-ness, so – uh, for the second for the second game, we have Auburn and Old Miss. And tell me what what you've got the line here as. Yeah, so Auburn's uh, the home team, and they are a three point favorite. Okay, against. Uh, I really like uh, so I picked Matt Corral to be. I'm saying it right, Corral, right? Yeah, Corral, Corral. Uh, Matt yeah, Corral, Matt Corral. My, my Heisman favorite. I love the way that he plays. I love what Lane Kiffin's doing uh, down there uh, in Mississippi. Uh, I don't believe in, in Auburn, um, so I'm going to take I'm going to take Mississippi and grab the three points um, because I just uh, I feel better about them than I feel about Auburn. I just feel like Auburn's kind of been um, kind of middling and, and frustratingly inconsistent. They they definitely have been both middling and inconsistent. Um, 
going into the Georgia game, Bo Nix had thrown a pick, and that was kind of funny because he hadn't thrown one yet. He has thrown two picks since against Georgia and then in the win against Arkansas. Um, winning on the Plains is kind of hard. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I just – I'm – I'm going to go, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to say that mostly because Josh has, uh, Ole Miss in there. Cause originally I was like, well, you know, I can definitely see a situation where, um, Auburn puts it together and they're able to make a run, you know, late into the season and maybe, maybe they make some, some noise against Alabama on there. But, um, I just don't trust Bo Nix as a, as a quarterback and he's probably going to have to throw the ball you know, 35, 45 times in this football game um, in order to keep pace with Ole Miss. And the mistakes are going to catch up with them. So uh, give me Auburn as well. Okay. I took Ole Miss, though. So Oh, you took I'm Ole at, Miss? Yeah, I'm actually with Josh on this one, <laughs> shockingly. So I will uh, I'll take Auburn. Okay. Um, the next one I get, the next one you wrote down was Wisconsin and Iowa. And honestly, I have no idea how to pick this game. Um, they are, teams, um, they're SP Plus's darling, Wisconsin. Is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these teams have been, uh, I thought they looked great. And then they played, they apparently played trash opponents and lost to them. Um, you know, Wisconsin, uh, beats Purdue after Purdue gets into the top 25. But I, I I just I don't even I have no good sense of where these teams are in rel- relative to each other. Um, so I'm going to take Iowa in the points. It's three and a half points I'm getting right for for being Iowa. Yeah. So I'm going to take the Iowa in the points and just like hope like hell that Graham Mertz just returns to who Graham Mertz we saw <laughs> Graham Mertz be. Um, and it's weird putting eggs in Iowa's basket because I don't know that I have a lot of faith in Iowa either. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll see. I mean, Wisconsin beat Purdue, Iowa lost to Purdue. I don't think the transitive property really works like that, but, um, you know, maybe that's common with an opponent. At least you could take something away from that. Uh, this is just, this is a hard one. I mean, can just, I just pick the under for this one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is, is it 39 and a half? I feel, this feels like a 39 and a half kind of game. Is the under 25? Cause I'd still take the under. <laughs> It's 36.5. Oh my god, it's 36.5. I mean, this thing has 17.14 written all over it, doesn't it? 17.13. Yes, 13 13. is going to be a score in there. 13 is going to be a score, yeah. Um, Uh, Graham Mertz threw the ball eight times last week in the win against (laughs) Purdue. He was McNamara-esque. Yeah, it is definitely McNamara-esque. And if if they want to beat I and here's here's why I think that they Wisconsin could beat Iowa is that against Notre Dame he got down and he had to throw the football um, against Iowa their offense is just it is anemic and that if Wisconsin can get up like seven to three or something he doesn't have to throw the football because like if if Iowa had a mildly competent offense. Like a mediocre offense, I would take Iowa all day because Iowa's strength is their ability to pick off quarterbacks into forced turnovers, and Graham Mertz is a turnover machine. So smart, smart people would say, well, Iowa, of course, because Graham Mertz throws picks. But I don't know if Wisconsin's going to have to throw the ball. 
Um, but that, that three and a half hook gets me. I think Wisconsin probably wins, but it, I can't see them winning by more than three. So give me <laughs> Iowa as well. Okay. There you go. I think we, we both sort of backed into that one, but it, it was, it was what it was. So yeah. Uh, the next game is the one that we were discussing earlier, Michigan, Michigan state. I think Michigan is laying four at this point. What's, what do you got? What have you written down? Yeah. It's a four, four point. Okay. Yeah, it was four and a half earlier today, and um, you know Michigan fans are more than willing to. Uh, right. And this is at, this is at Sparty Stadium, is that right? Yeah, they got back to back games at Spartan Stadium. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, it's a weird um, what should be? I mean, we talked about this before. You said either you feel like a Michigan blowout or a or a close Sparty win. Statement. Yeah. So, how are you going to bet this game? Um. I'm going to go with Michigan State because Michigan State has more knowns um, it, offensively. I think Aiden Hutchinson is the best player um, on either team. And I think that he, for Michigan State, um, their ability to offset the kind of pressure that Aiden Hutchinson puts on opposing quarterbacks is going to really – how Michigan State handles that is going to be what I think ultimately decides the game because, um, you know, Peyton Thorne's okay. Um, he makes the throws that he makes. To ma- he doesn't make mistakes. He makes the throws that he needs to make. Um, they have two very good receivers in Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor. Um, Naylor is a, is a burner. Um, I, I really like that, 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 two receiver combo that they have there. And then they have the best, you know, running back maybe in the country, maybe in Kenneth Walker, the third, and that's nothing to, to um, take away from the um, running backs at Michigan's featuring because, um, you know, Michigan also has a pretty competent um, uh, rushing attack with Blake mm. Corum and Hassan Haskins. Um Quorum being sort of the the big play guy and Haskins being the the reliable uh, cloud of dust guy. They have twenty touchdowns combined between the two of them. Um, Is that good? And I think it's good. And they have thirteen hundred yards rushing between the two of them too, which I think is pretty good. Um, But the one thing, the reason I can't pick Michigan in this game is I think Cade McNamara is hot trash, and (laughs) I just cannot like with good conscience pick Michigan to win this football game with Cade McNamara as quarterback. Maybe J.J. McCarthy ends up getting into the game and leads him. Um, but Jim Harbaugh, for whatever reason, um, has only let the kid throw the ball 19 times. It would be a hell of a spot to put him in a rivalry game in a hostile environment uh, for extended snaps when he hasn't had a chance to do that all year. So give me give me Sparty to win this game. Uh, cool. I, uh, I I'm going to take Michigan. Um, it's because I, I don't know, um, how I feel about this game and Josh picked Michigan state. So <laughs> it feels like, it feels like another opportunity to steal a dumb. I don't also believe in Cade McNamara, um, but I do believe in, in, um, sort of the, the, the rest of the offense, especially that rushing offense that you, that you mentioned. Um, you know. I think I also part of me really wants to see Michigan State go into that Ohio State game undefeated and then lose like 
56, whatever it was, 27 that one year that Don Brown couldn't figure out Ohio State. Uh, of him. What is a slant? <laughs> Should I defend against this? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it only makes the downfall that much sweeter when there, when there's uh, higher stakes. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm looking forward to watching the Big Ten, uh, cannibalize itself over the next couple of weeks. And uh, obviously, it starts with the with this game. So let the first domino fall with uh, with Michigan beating Michigan State. All right, our last game is uh, Notre Dame North Carolina. Notre Dame is is laying three and a half points. This is the only game North, Notre Dame games are the only games that Josh picks right, and he did pick Notre Dame. I don't think Josh ever picks against Notre Dame. I think uh, I'm the only villain who's actually bothered to take anybody. I, last week I picked USC to cover, which they did not do. No, but you also took Cincy. Uh, I did take Cincy. That did work out in my favor. Um, you know, it brings me no joy, of course. Uh, right, right. I, I, I have no joy. Um, and you took Toledo, too, which picked you up a, picked you up a coin there. Yeah, I should have picked Florida State, damn it. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, this is tough, right? Because um, I, I don't think I hesitate at all if, if – if if Kyle Hamilton's in this game, I, I don't think I hesitate at all. Um, if maybe you know UNC had a corresponding injury that felt as significant, um, it's a weird line. Three and a half is a weird line because um, part of me doesn't see that ge- this game being that close, and I do think Notre Dame prevails, um, but I. I'm going to take North Carolina because um, I took Michigan and I might, as, I might as well lean full into the villainy. Um, having said that, I don't feel great about that. I just feel like I want to, I want to run up the score on, on Josh <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and taking North Carolina as a way to, to achieve that. But um, if I had to, if I, if I had to pick a score here, um, God, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. There's gonna be points, aren't there? I, I can't yeah. imagine either offense gets stopped a lot. Um, let's say to make the make the actual pick work. Let's make it a thirty-four, thirty-one game. Notre Dame prevails. Yeah. I uh, I'm gonna pick Notre Dame in this game. Um, I think that it's probably gonna be something like uh, 38-24. Um, I think that Notre Dame's pressure on the quarterback is able to um, disrupt the things that that North Carolina is gonna want to do. Um, just the amount of hits that. Um, Sam Howell has taken this year. Um, it's it's wild. It's getting it's uh, getting uncomfortable, isn't it? And he's coming think, off a bye, which should help. But like, yeah, that should help. Sam Howell has you know ninety six combined rush and sack uh, hits this year. Which, I mean, he's a he's a big guy. Right, you know, he's six one two twenty, but he's not a big guy. And I think that Notre Dame hits people hard 
and I just I just see them just beating down Sam Howell um, and you know forcing him to to make some mistakes um, and offensively you know I want to I want to see the 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 passing game open up and this is a good weekend to to do that. Um, whether or not it's one of the two young kids or whether Austin and Lindsay can get it going. Uh, we haven't said Michael Mayer's name, but he's only getting healthier. So um, <laughs> maybe they can decide to target him in the second More half this week. After the first quarter of any game? Yeah, maybe yeah. after the first quarter they can they can give him a few targets. Uh, but, yeah, I like, I like Notre Dame 38-24 in this game. And if you had – I'm putting you on the spot here, but if you had to guess, uh, 14 points obviously is enough to, to breathe easy for, for Irish fans. But is it going to be a game in, in the fourth quarter, or is it one of those deals where you could see uh, North Carolina maybe scoring a garbage touchdown and making the game look a little bit closer than it was? Uh, I think both teams end up scoring kind of late. I think it's more of a game sort of, you know, Notre Dame in the 20s and um, North Carolina – maybe it's uh, – you know, thirty-one seventeen, or or maybe it's um, you know, twenty-eight seventeen going into the fourth, and both teams sort of tack on some plays. I expect to see actually a pretty good amount of Tyler Buckner this week too, just in um, the troubles that North Carolina had with Gibbs and with Travis. Um, I expect to see a healthy dose of him uh, this weekend, and also you know, getting healthier uh, from his ankle. So. Um, wouldn't be wouldn't be sad to see a long touchdown run from TB twelve. TB twelve. Fly the South Korean flag. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, when I was, I was thinking about it, like twenty four seventeen at the half or twenty four fourteen or something like that. That feels right. That feels like yeah. you know something like that we can see. Um, it, you know, we've been so good about predicting the the quarter backs this this year that I fully expect <laughs> Rupine to take 50 snaps like we all predicted um you know but uh I, I honestly you know I, I said it before and I'll say it again I, I really do like um the cohesion that they seem to have with Cone and, and Buckner and how Buckner has been a, a good complement to to Cone and I feel like Cone is and and Rees are now kind of um figuring out what works for both of them and not trying to uh, uh, fit a square peg in a round hole. Also, uh, you know, absent some sort of, you know, freak injury or something like that, and I'm furiously knocking on wood over here. Um, I expect that to to continue against UNC. And and um, as much as I love Drew Pine, I just I don't I don't see an opportunity for him in this the way that they design this offense to really. Um, to come in unless the game is, is sort of lopsided and he's he's doing mop-up duty, which I don't think we're going to get at UNC. You know, if you want to make this game 49-19, I, uh, I accept. And I will. And even it. then, you probably want to have Buckner take that mop, those mop-up snaps anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it just it determines – it depends on if you still believe that, that Pine is the guy that would come in and, and relieve Cone if he were injured and you had to play a whole game with him, then at some point you want to – you want Heinrich um, to be in there, but I guess when the bullets aren't flying, that's also a perfect opportunity to to get Buckner comfort, comfortable too. So I don't know, man. I feel like every time I guess about this, I guess wrong. So um, <laughs> you I'm, and everybody I'm happy, else. <laughs> I'm ha- I'm happy to watch the offense run with 
with Tyler Buckner if if that if the case may be. So all right, that does it for the picks. Um I successfully picked every game except for one different than Josh. So one of us is gonna have an outstanding week or more likely we'll go three and two. Right. <laughs> um and uh you know we'll show each other. I, I haven't been doing so well in, in the uh the picks lately. I don't know if I've been rushing them or I just I've lost my feel. I was I was the clubhouse leader on tally site for, for a couple weeks in a row in terms of overall progress and especially money uh money line. I was doing okay on those. Uh last week didn't go so hot for me. So I don't maybe know. Maybe too much should... thought. Sometimes you just gotta you know, there's paralysis from analysis. Uh, you can just shoot from the hip. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell you what, like I spent way more time than was uh, probably probably should have been on games like Harvard Princeton last week. Um, you know, I was all in my headspace about uh, you know what these FCS playoffs were gonna were gonna start looking like. Uh, it's made me it's made me learn a lot about uh, teams for about ten ten minutes at a time, and yeah. uh, you know it's funny because I've actually really sucked. Um, betting both Michigan and Michigan State this year, which means I probably can't go wrong uh, because <laughs> I'm going to improve on one of them. <laughs> so, uh, you know, here's hoping. But uh, anyways, uh, I, that's um, pretty much all for the picks and for the UNC preview. Is there any final words, anything that you saw this week that uh, you want to share with the populace before we're back at it for the for the post-game wrap-up? Probably uh, – Sunday, right? Yeah, I think it'll probably be Sunday. Um, are you a big scary movie fan, Jude? What What do you do for the for the holiday for the the Halloween season? That is a the, great question. And, of, uh, and I will, I'll be honest with you, I am uh, I sort of have a, a social relationship with scary movies, which is I like the idea of scary movies, and I do try to watch um, sort of the big ones. Uh, but having said that, uh, my wife does not watch scary movies at all, and, and so. I only I have to watch scary movies, yeah, uh, when I have the time. And frankly, I haven't had the time recently to to make that a priority. So I am still trying to watch Get Out. I know that's been out for a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> I missed a yeah, couple of uh, I missed a couple of the big ones the last couple of years. But um, I'm always, you know, I've I feel like I've seen sort of the classics. Um, you know, the ones obviously that I grew up in the '90s, the Scream franchise, obviously. Uh, was big. Uh, Blair Witch Project was hilarious because in 1999, you know, the internet was kind of in its infancy, and there was a, a my recollection was there was an open question about whether or not that was legit or not. Like they did a good job of the marketing of that. Um, I nowadays, was in a pivotal age where um, I went into that movie thinking it was real. Yeah, I think I was like I, I, 14, maybe. Yeah, it was 1999 if I recall correctly, and I think there yeah. was a. I think there was a real question about, and you couldn't easily look it up. I, I think that, you know, it, there wasn't a guy on Twitter who was like, here are the 10, uh, there was no BuzzFeed article that said, here are the 27 reasons why uh, Blair Witch Project is clearly made up. Um, I, I watched the movie and I was like, I think that's There was fake, no IMDB to look up the uh, the actors if they're alive. <laughs> there, was an, there was an IMDB, but all these actors were the, their first roles. So it, it very well could have been found footage, right? And so... Um, I feel like it's been diminishing returns on the the found footage genre, I, and I'm not sure that there's been a lot that I've really enjoyed since then. Was um, uh, recent ones Creep's pretty good? Uh, what's that's that? a found, Creep is a pretty good found Creep? footage. I think it's on Netflix. Okay. Um, 
it's a uh, and creep two also. Um, those are some some good. You're uh, not suggesting Jeepers Creepers because that movie sucks. That's I love bad. Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> you? The first one, the first one specific. I love a good horror movie where the so my wife and I are huge horror fans. We watch every single horror movie that there is, all the horror TV shows, the new Chucky series on um, uh, Sci-Fi slash USA is fantastic. Uh, characters okay. welcome. Um, they really do the the it it's a continuation of the Child's Play series. Um, in modern times, it is it's very good. And they dress a lot of the the how does Chucky work in modern day? Um, but yeah, we watch we watch all of them. Um, I mean, I'm a I would I know some people that are like you know they watch the Grindhouse and they watch some of the the VHS and they really like it like Maniac and some of the um you know the campier ones. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge, this is, this is my season. We watch, uh, Halloween, the original, uh, every year on Halloween. Uh, we'll do it again this year. Um, I think the original Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre is pretty intense. Yeah. The scene, specifically the scene, the, the one that got me the first time I saw it is the scene where the, the door slides open and he just, uh, cause the kid who is describing how they put down the cattle, and then he get in the they torch a little bit before they go out, and then he does the yeah, same thing. Yeah. That kid. That's the one where it's just like it, and like you, the jump scare with that, and then he gets him on the head. Yeah, it's very. Good. And I know you're a big fan, obviously, based on of past precedent uh, on uh, movies where there's haunted dolls, right? Uh, oh yeah, know, yeah. I don't know if you've um, been in the, like the Annabelles or um, you know stuff like that, but uh, yeah, the, anything where there's, like, there's a creep, the Anna, a creepy Annabelle doll. Wasn't hang. I liked uh, the Conjuring where Annabelle was just sort of a guest. Yep. Um, yep. I liked the Puppet Master series as a kid. Those were those were fun growing up. Okay. Uh, I was like the, the the haunted puppets. Um, those were good. Uh, there was one where like I can't remember the name of the movie. I but mean, the, we used to we used to put on Candyman to try to scare each other, and you know what I mean. Uh, Nightmare oh, yeah. on Elm Street. Uh, although I don't think I'd ever watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I think probably we started with like four or five deep. Uh, before we the really... third one's the best one. Dream Warriors is the best of the uh, of the uh, the the yeah of the series. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a. I mean, when I look at horror movies, like there is a pretty big distinction. Like there are Halloween horror movies, right. um, and that's just sort of like spooky stuff. Like uh, I like Drag Me to Hell, which is uh, probably the, my favorite horror movie of this century. Uh, it's a Sam Raimi one with uh, sure, Justin Allison Loman. Um, Halloween's, you know, The Haunting's, or um, not The Haunting, uh, The Conjuring's great. I think that that was a, a really good um, movie. I, you know, where it's like horror movies about sort of the the unknown or um, ghosts, not so much like uh, audition or uh, the thing or alien, which are very good horror movies uh, that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't sort of put them in the same categories like Halloween horror movies where like evil dead one or the haunting or like, um, you know, sort of the exorcist, uh, those kind of movies where, um, you know, that's the supernatural as opposed to just like uh, what's the, um, don't breathe, right? That's that's one where like they're they're trapped in the house with the the blind guy. Um, yeah, wh- I hear a lot of good stuff about Quiet Place, but I haven't watched either one of those. Yeah, Were Quiet Place good? is good too, but that fits into the same category as like the more thing like alien. psychological or thriller. Well, no, Quiet Place is an it's an alien movie. The aliens. Oh, okay. 
Gotcha. So um, it's it's kind of in the same vein as that, or even like the torture porn stuff, right? Like um, oh, hostile and uh, hostile saw. and centipede saw audition. Audition is the the most hardcore. Oh, human centipede. I heard terrible things about. Do people actually watch that stuff? Except uh, yeah, we watched the all three of them. Uh, oh my god! Watched them all. Uh, yeah, I mean, of the of the torture porn ones, like uh, Takashi Miike's uh, auditions, the worst. Oh um, yeah, I didn't watch the audition. Yeah, <laughs> the piano wire at the end is just ugh. But yeah, just <gasps> this time of year is just an absolute delight. And Christy and I were talking about it, like our kids haven't watched any horror movies. Um, and Sophia's seven, Sam's and four, rightfully so. <laughs> but like. Both of us watched it, and that was a made-for-TV show. That was, like, Dude, on television when I we were – it when it when it first came out. Yeah, like, what was it? Yeah, we watched it when it first came out, and we were – We were, like, really for that. Oh, and I God, remember I watching so Night that. of the Living Dead. Um, you know, Dude, sometimes, sometimes when I close my eyes, I, I, still watching... see that, I still see that severed head in the, the refrigerator from It, and he's talking, yeah. and it's like – Oh God! It's not even just the clown in the sewer. It's like it's there's so much in that in that just that freaks blood me out. Blood bubble coming up out of the, the sink. blood bubble. Oh my God! The blood bubble. Ugh. And yeah. it just I remember when I was a kid at like the age that my daughter is in second grade. I had I have you know I watched um you know Friday the Thirteenth. I watched like you know the made for TV uh you know ones for them right not made for tvs but edited for tv versions of them but like watched all of the horror movies i remember my dad putting like saying chucky lived in our basement when i was in second grade and like <laughs> i knew who chucky was and like i just wonder if it's time to, to traumatize my children maybe next year will be the year that we uh we decide to to, to pull off the band-aid with it but yeah i uh wow. it's my favorite time of year because just just love, just love horror movies. Love zombies. Love, love it all, man. So I got a quick story about Alice Loban, who was in a Drag Me to Hell, a movie that you that you mentioned. Uh, she married a a, a writer director uh, named Mark Neveldine, who, if you if you're familiar with the Crank franchise, that's probably his best known films. Um, but he actually uh, he did a he did some other uh, movies. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, comic books, he did the Jonah Hex and and one of the Ghost Rider movies. Yeah, uh, he did uh, this movie called Pathology with uh, Milo Ventimiglia, uh, a movie called Gamer with uh, Gerard Butler and uh, the guy from Dexter, Michael, whatever, something Hall, something Hall. Uh, but anyways, uh, Mark um, is from 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 Watertown, where I live, and uh, I had a chance to, to meet him and and uh, his uh his mother was a was a county legislator. She's she's now passed, but um, I used to cover county government for the newspaper here in Watertown. So I got to know her a little bit, and then and got to know Mark through her. her. And and one time I had to go over to her house, and I, can't, I honestly can't remember what the circumstances were. Uh, but I walk in, and she says something about you know her her grandchild watching her grandchild or whatever. I really thought nothing of it, and I walked into another room, and Allison Loma is just, just sitting there, and it's just like, <laughs> okay, dude, be cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh hey, Allison, hi. Allison, you remember you remember that time when that remember, that gypsy remember, woman puked in your mouth? Remember? Do you remember Matchstick Man? Like, what what was Nick Cage like? Was he, was he cool? <laughs> big fish. Oh, big Johnny Depp guy. Uh, and it was just like you know, and, and again, like I'm you know, I don't get 
I don't know. I do get starstruck. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I do get starstruck. Um, I do like talking to to celebrities and it, it does like in a way mess me up in a way that like I think probably talking to anybody else like, you know, I've, I've talked to, you know, pretty high ranking people in politics and it's like Chuck Schumer's never bothered me or anything. You know what I mean? Like just people like that, you know, governors and stuff like it, it's really not been that big of a deal. But like just not expecting Allison Lohman and then saying like, don't be staring. Don't stare. Like, make, make, just make idle conversation. Treat her like she's a normal person. Treat her like she's a mom. Ask her mom questions. You know what I mean? It was just like, like, oh, your kid's really cute. What? <laughs> what did you just say? So that's my quick story. I, I honestly met her for less than five minutes, and I um, wouldn't expect her to remember, remember. something that was so something as inconsequential as that. But uh, hopefully, I didn't em- embarrass myself too thoroughly. But that's my uh, that's my story. So, um, yeah. So I'm going to close it out with uh, with uh, just two things. Um, a friend of the pod, Ashton Pollard. That's her birthday today. She shares a birthday with uh, with Brady Quinn. Uh, we tried unsuccessfully to get Brady to acknowledge not only his birthday, uh, but also uh, Ashton's birthday. Ashton is a, I would say, very intense Brady Quinn fan, uh, which makes sense because she's turning 26. And so Brady Quinn is very much in her wheelhouse growing up as a Notre Dame fan. Uh, and then obviously finding out that he shared a birthday with her probably makes that connection stronger. So happy birthday to her. Sorry we couldn't pull off the uh, Brady Quinn acknowledgement, despite a great effort from Brendan to uh, inject words in Brady's mouth in, in a nice deep fake video. So check that out at Barry Piety <laughs> if you're feeling so inclined. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say was uh, we got a commitment on a Notre Dame women's lacrosse that I probably wouldn't mention except uh, for two things. One, or three things. Uh, first is that she's actually from my area. Uh, she's um, She plays for, uh, she goes to high school at Salmon River, which is in Franklin County, right up to my north. Um, and, uh, uh, second is she's a native American. She's from the Aquasasini tribe. And third, she has a great name. It's winter jock. Winter W Y N T E R and jock J O C K, which I, by the way, would be a perfect hockey name. I think would be, you know, winter jock. Oh my God. Uh, no, I have not scattered. I was not aware of her until I saw, um, 18 stripes, I think, uh, Mike, uh, the, the lacrosse writer from 18 stripes retweeted, uh, that commitment or whatever today. So I was very excited to know, uh, not only that we're going to have another, uh, women's lacrosse commitment from New York state because they tend to come from, from New York, but they come to, they tend to come from like Long Island or, um, Maryland's also a very popular state to recruit from, but also somebody in our area that we could, you know, get to know her and her family and, and uh, you know, reach out to her through the alumni club. So uh, congratulations to Winter Jock. And I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about uh, about and seeing her on the field for, for Notre Dame lacrosse in the future. Apparently, she scored 100 goals last season. So I, I think that's good. That sounds good to me. So um, that's where we're going to leave it. So for Brendan and for Josh, who is uh, sitting out tonight, but we are hoping that he is on the mend and uh, rip ran ready to go for, for UNC on, on Saturday. Uh, we hope for you have a great week, and we will join you after, hopefully, uh, Notre Dame improving its record to 7-1, and one, right? Uh, yeah, after beating UNC, UNC on Saturday night. So for Brendan and Josh, I'm Jude, and uh, go Irish.